Welcome to Community Connect 625, a podcast for all St. Paul families from the Midway to the East Side. Community Connect 625 is a podcast created for communities who are nurturing the growth of middle school students. Our goal is to create audio content that is relevant and supportive for navigating the journey through the middle school years with preteen and teen youth. By providing valuable information through this podcast series, we hope to strengthen the connection between the school community and home with resources, tips, and ideas that you can use and share with others. Listen anytime and anywhere. Community Connect 625 is produced by Flipside in partnership with the St. Paul Public Schools Community Education Department. Hello, welcome to our second episode of Community Connect 625. This episode centers around supporting youth mental health. This episode is a little longer because it has two really important interviews. The first interview you will hear is with two of our SPPS middle school counselors. And the second interview is with Sue Opterholden, who is the executive director of NAMI Minnesota. Both interviews contain valuable insights and information for how we can support our St. Paul middle schoolers. Please stick around to listen to both of these great interviews. And at the end of this episode, in our What's the Word segment, you will get a two for one. Yes, two. Two words explained by two St. Paul middle school students. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. I'm here today with Courtney Conyers, a school counselor at ESTEM Middle School, and Julie Montgomery-Reese, the lead middle school counselor for St. Paul Public Schools. Welcome. And uh, Julie, why don't you start by sharing a little bit about yourself? Awesome. Well, it's uh, great to be here. I am in my 14th year working in education, and this is my first year working for St. Paul Public Schools. Um, I've had the pleasure of working in middle and high schools um, in a range of spaces, both rural and urban, and also the opportunity to teach at the University of Minnesota um, for counselor educators. So I'm I'm excited to be here and have this conversation uh, about uh, middle school kids because I'm super passionate about them. I'm also a parent of a middle schooler at East Stem Middle School here in St. Paul Public Schools, and I have two more kids who will be coming up through um, 
through St. Paul schools in the coming years. Cool. Uh, hi, Courtney. Welcome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am in year 18 in education. This is my seventh year in SPPS. Um, I am the fourth year counselor at Easton Middle School. I have primarily worked with middle school students. I've worked in Virginia, I've worked in Texas, and now I am in Minnesota where I am from. And I am super excited to be here as well and have this conversation. Cool, thanks. I have you both here today to talk about middle school, um, you know, mental health and social development and sort of the experience that our middle school students are having in this moment. Um, and so I'd love to hear your experience uh, working with our St. Paul middle schoolers uh, and families. Where would you like to start? Um, I think we need to start with student voice and being a school counselor in a middle school currently and just assessing where they are and asking them how they're feeling and they're telling us that they are scared about what's going on in the world, that they are nervous, that they um, need support, and that they are not okay right now. Yeah, I think that what I heard a lot last year being in a middle school uh, in the first year returning from remote learning, um, welcoming kiddos back in, in my case it was seventh graders, um, the last time they'd had a normal year was fourth grade. Uh, so they really never got that infusion of um, skills that you get as a sixth grade transition year. So they're coming into seventh grade. Um, in addition to all the challenges that coming back into school uh, presented for them and the stress that caused, um, it was the first time that they had access to somebody um, in the mental health arena for most of them that, was, that, was able, that they felt comfortable sharing what's been going on for them. And um, I was just overwhelmed with the number of students that had major mental health crises during the pandemic, during remote learning. And they, they did not have support um, or they were masking um, the things that they were going through because it wasn't necessarily safe to talk about with their families or they didn't know um, what kind of response they would get. Um, so I think that we are still uncovering a lot of the trauma um, for kids in all of our communities, um, what they went through, uh, not just the loss from COVID deaths, but, but just the isolation um, and the, the impact on mental health. So I think they're, they're coming out of it, and I think this year's a better year than last year, for instance, but I still think there's a lot of, um, a lot of needs that need to be met. So middle school is, you know, a really difficult or challenging time for students and families as they navigate all of the changes that are happening for students, you know, physically and socially and emotionally. And, um, you know, we, we see those changes. But to what extent should we be looking for things that might not be typical or normal um, within those changes and, and transitions that we see middle schoolers going through right now? The normal part of this is, and this is what I tell my kids, that um, from birth to age two is a big, huge change in development. And then that big, huge change in development takes place during sixth grade. 
So literally, they are doing a lot of growing in their bodies, in their thinking, in their identity. Um, socially, they're becoming more aware. While have been kids with parents and one teacher that kind of walked them through everything. And then they come to middle school as a sixth grader, and there's a lot of support needed to help them be themselves, come into themselves while being comfortable and in, in establishing boundaries. I think we're seeing normal student behavior. They're all figuring it out. Um, but then there's this thing called the internet that kind of changes what normal is for what we know growing up as kids without the internet and then having the kids now that relied solely upon it for two years because they were socially isolated and they didn't have the mental health um, mental health help, I suppose, um, that, was, that was not readily available to them. So they were diagnosing themselves. They were fixing themselves. They were searching for answers on the internet. And I think that that is the challenge that we have in schools right now is to make sure that they know that that, yes, is in the, it's a resource, but that there are people in their buildings that are there for them for the same reason. Yeah, I think as a parent and as somebody who works with parents and helping them understand their child, I often ask parents, you know, what are you seeing that you're concerned about? And just kind of get the conversation going, like for the parent to have the opportunity to say out loud um, what they're worried about. And from there, we can kind of go um, and, and talk it through, like what would be you know, some amount of irritability, um, some amount of like pushing back against authority when maybe your your child wasn't that kind of a child prior. Um, maybe um, some forgetfulness around um, like, yes, we see this time as like increased responsibility, yet what Courtney was talking about with um, the demands during the school day on their executive functioning is so overwhelming. Like, I'm not sure if we will evolve how we do sixth grade, but right now what we ask a sixth grade brain to do throughout the day, it is completely too much. It takes them one to two quarters just to adjust. And so during that period, you might see your new sixth grader like not doing um, chores or might maybe being extremely tired or so you'll see some of that just adjusting. Uh, but th when, when I would become concerned would be things like self-isolating. Um, not communicate. I mean, you're going to see some change in terms of they're going to want more privacy, right? But I'm talking totally cutting you off or not including you on what's going on. Um, again, too, everybody has to figure out with in their household how they're going to monitor um, internet use. They're a minor. There should be some guardrails on the wild, wild west of the internet for them. And so watching um, for some internet behavior, if you have some concerns around that, if they're hiding where they are on the internet, that would be a concern. So there's just a few things that come to mind. So I think we all know that social media use is um, a problem for probably all people, but at the middle school level, it, it presents its own special kinds of problems for, for students and our youth. Um, what are you seeing, Courtney, at a school level of of what social media use, sort of how it impacts students um, at school and at home? It is, I'm seeing an impact 
directly student interaction, for one. Um, students are having friends on social media that they are not in-person friends with in a building. So they're establishing relationships with people that they have never seen, that they don't even know if that who is on the other side of the social media image or the page or whatever it is. And then in the school, they're not able to have direct communication with friends. So I'm seeing a lot of talking back and forth through Snapchat posts and then not actually being able to have a circle or sit down and mediate through whatever conflict might be happening online. And that is really challenging because we don't know what's going on online. We see the kids come in and they come in with whatever, whatever they came with, whatever they woke up with, whatever they're dealing with at home. And then there's this whole invisible obstacle that we all have to figure out how to navigate and how to teach them how to navigate when it's a completely new, it's a completely new frontier for all of us. So I think that is one of the big things that we're seeing. Right, and I think this is going to get me on my soapbox because I, I really feel like, just kind of coming back to your point, Courtney, about um, kids are say yes to a friendship online that they don't have a physical in-person relationship with. Well, a, and a reasonable adult might say, why would they do that? Like that we've taught them not to make friend someone who um, they don't know in real life. And um, the bottom line is, why do they do it? because it's a dopamine hit in their brain. And this technology is very powerful and it is very addictive. And um, a, a tween um, brain up against the opportunity to have a device and then engage in social media accounts where they're gonna get some amount of their social needs met, which they absolutely deserve and need to have. Um, they have they don't stand a fighting chance to make reasonable decisions and so i that, that this is where i think we need to have a cultural shift as a society and we need to um, own um, and take responsibility for our children's development and we need to put more guardrails on social media use with our young people um, it's it's getting in the way of their learning it's getting in the way of their social and emotional development um, and and they are isolated. Um, we we've seen studies. We know um, not only does it impact like the types of relationships they have into their twenties, but it also like for our at risk youth um, can really um, increase anxiety, depression, um, and suicidality. And so um, the dangers are real. And I think we have to be more honest about it. What if there was no social media? What if students didn't have smartphones and devices at all, let alone at school, but at home? When, and, and, and we were back to a time, you know, pre, pre-internet even. What, what do you think our schools and our students, what, are, what would our schools look and feel like? And what would our, how would our students be feeling right now? Do you, do you think there'd be a difference? I will say middle school is hard. When I was in middle school, it was hard. It's a hard time in student life. It is a challenging time in student life because you are literally trying to find yourself. Kind of what you do now as a middle schooler, the, the goals that you have or the habits that you form pretty much set you up for high school. 
And so without social media, I would like to say that it would be easier. Um, I think that it would be another challenge of some sort. Um, I think the pandemic was a challenge, and I think that social media became um, a crutch of sorts during the pandemic because that was a way for people to relate, for our students to relate. Um, but I still think the challenge of middle school would be very present where there are no social media. Yeah, and I, and I think we we know that there are positive aspects of what social media can do for students. Just take, for instance, a student that maybe does suffer with social anxiety, really struggles with in-person interactions, um, and is further isolated by their identity. Maybe they, um, maybe I'm just throwing this out there, it's an example I have seen, but like a student who is non-binary or transgender or a student who's queer, um, and their home isn't a safe place for them, their school or community environment isn't necessarily a super safe place, but they found online communities where they really connect with people. Um, I also think like our socially awkward crew, which has existed all the way back, all the way back, yeah. like they, they've got these like gaming communities and ways to connect um, online that are really healthy for them. And so like, again, it, it can be like a good thing. It's just like, how are we supporting our youth and making um, in, in the guard, in the boundaries, the guardrails, like, do we have little contracts? Do we, what rules do we have in place that are reasonable, that they help in, that through their voice, they have a say in that, um, help them stay focused on what they want, leads them towards their goals. And then also, you know, just continuing to educate, um, kids and, and adults, the whole school community, you know, um, about how, how to be a healthier, uh, teenager with social media in the mix. As you know, parents and families are potentially struggling with social media use or device use at home. What are some ways that you know? What are some tips you have, and what are some ways you think that that our schools and our counselors can support our um, our students in this? I proudly am. Um um, uh, I work with I work for St. Paul Public Schools. I think our school counseling program is amazing, and the professional development that we get around these um, around these topics, ways to support each other in our buildings. And so, my first um, tip would be to contact your school counselor. We are knowledgeable about social media, the brain of the student, how everything is impacted, everything that it affects. Um, there are certain programs in schools, certain ways in schools that, in Easton, we have a check-in and check-out program. Or So when children are not able to manage their iPads because they're given this iPad, this is now a part of their curriculum. So even if they don't have a phone at home, they have a device that they know how to get onto social media with, whether we want to admit that or not. But knowing that there's check-in and check-out. So if you know your student is not able to monitor themselves or if they're not able to regulate their use, then you can leave your iPad at home or at school. You can not bring it home, leave it at school, check it out at the end of the day, check back in at the beginning of the day. They have it for when they need it, and then when they come home, it's not even, it's not available. Um, there's also, in our school, we have um, our principal, 
noticed how much social media is impacting student student social behavior and there was a message to parents to please monitor what's going on a lot of what's going on um, socially in our school was not what's happening in our school building because we do not allow phones at Easton Middle School we have you put your phone in the locker it does not need to be a part of our community and our culture at all you have an iPad that's enough right so we have them put their phones in their lockers but again they come in with conversations and things that happen at home with their social media. And so we had to send out an SOS, like, please, parents, support us in supporting your kids. We're all on the same team. We all know how this can affect our students. And just be aware of what they're using, how they're logging in. Um, check their phones. Check their iPads. Have a discussion. They can actually teach you a lot about social media. They can teach you a lot about ways in which that can help our lives as adults they are the experts so having a conversation having them teach you and show you kind of takes the stigma and the bad part away from the social media and it makes it more of a communication device it makes it a topic of discussion in your household and it helps um, lead to healthy ways in using social media yeah i think too as parents um, each of us has our own style Right. And each and in our families, we have family values and our community, community values. And so everybody has to kind of find their own way to approach this with their child. That's authentic to to who you are and who you are as a family. Um, some things I really encourage people to do with their child is just Google um, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendation on screen time by age and just read it through with your 11-year-old, your 12-year-old, your 13-year-old, and then have a discussion about how does their use, and, and just be honest about it, their current use, um, you know, compare to what's recommended. And then that's also an opportunity for them to turn the spotlight on you. And uh, my kids have definitely <laughs> called me out for being on my phone when you know I could have been more present with their um, childhood moment. So I think that's, that's the beautiful thing about it, right? It's a conversation and a dialogue, and, and there's ways um, for it to feel good for both parties and not like something they're in trouble for. Uh, the, other, the other resource I really recommend in, um, is Common Sense Media. Um, that's just, there's digital citizenship um, content there. Um, there's just a plethora of, of resources on that, and it's a free website, um, and it's, I trust it. And so that's another place to look for recommendations. So beyond um, some of the tips you've shared around social media, what are some other tips you have for parents and, and caregivers and, and peop, anyone nurturing a middle school student right now? What's some, what are some easy tips you have for you know, connecting, building relationship, um, setting boundaries, uh, some of those foundational components of you know, maintaining, you know, supporting your student through this time, this tricky time of, of being a, a middle school student? My first tip is to reach out to your school. You, as the family, the parents, the caregivers, are the experts of your students. We house your students and take care of your students on the same team for the majority of the day. 
please reach out. We are welcoming conversations. If you don't know something, if you have questions about how to have conversations with your student about social media or whatever, reach out to your school. Join the PTO. That's one way that you can connect with your school culture and kind of cross wrap around your student. Um, if it's not a PTO, if there's some sort of parent involvement committee, join that. Show up as soon as, as you're able to. Um, for functions and community events, um, but we want to hear from parents and caregivers at home. We in, we invite that, and I think that I know that we want our students to be independent and to move into independence, but we have to realize that they are still children, and they still need guidelines, and they still need rules, and they still need structure. And if we are able to do that collaboratively, then that is the best best case scenario for a student. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as a parent, we all can have those days with our kids where we're pulling our hair out, we don't understand what's going on, and maybe we're not parenting as our best self too, and that's part of the, the challenge. Um, but I think if you notice that there's a persistent issue or concern um, that's, you know, over over time, it's not going away, it's not resolving, even though you're, you're trying to apply some of... Um, some of your parenting or you've talked to friends and you're trying different things, but you still have concerns. Absolutely, like Courtney said, reaching out to the school or even, you know, starting with a well child check. You know, when's the last time your child went to the pediatrician um, and just kind of have that conversation with the doctor. I really recommend at the middle school age, you uh, let your child speak with the doctor in private for some portion of that appointment. Um, and, and so those things, I think, the other thing I would say is um, don't underestimate the importance of touch. And so even if you're not like a big hugger or you're not huge into physical affection, we know that, um, that there's a lot of protective factor in having um, physical connection with our parents as young people. And so even in the first three minutes when they wake up, if you know if you're not a hugger then just touching their shoulder saying good morning with a smile on your face and in the last three minutes before they go to bed leaving them with a positive sentiment and connection letting them know you're their parent guardian caregiver um, you're always going to be there for them no matter what they're going through so those are the things I'd, I'd leave you with thank you and I'm going to add a, a tip as well that I just got from my daughter's kindergarten teacher um, in sort of in the same realm of what you just shared, Julie. But when talking, when having to talk to your child about something challenging or difficult or that makes them feel uncomfortable, maybe you need to talk to them about something that happened at school. Maybe it's something that they don't want to talk to you about. Um, she suggested to, um, instead of, you know, sit down face to face with a serious expression on your face to, you know, lay down side by side when your child is in their bed so that your maybe shoulders are touching but you don't have to look at each other or to take a, ask them if they want to take a walk and, and walk and talk um, just so that in those moments when they really don't want to talk to you and I have a hunch and, I, and I'm not a parent of a middle school I have a hunch that at middle school level they may not want to have difficult conversations either with their parents um, 
but there are ways um, to even foster that with them um, when when it really needs to happen. And it's maybe even uncomfortable for both people to, to have some kind of conversation about all kinds of stuff that can come up. <laughs> thank you, Julie, and thank you, Courtney, for uh, coming in today to talk um, and be a great resource for our St. Paul families. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kate. I'm here today with Sue Abderholden, the Executive Director of NAMI Minnesota. NAMI, which is an acronym for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of children and adults with mental illness and their families. For over 40 years, NAMI Minnesota has worked to promote the development of community mental health programs and services, change public attitudes about mental illness, improve access to services, and increase opportunities for recovery. NAMI Minnesota champions justice, dignity, and respect for all people affected by mental illness. Through education, support, and advocacy, they strive to affect positive changes in the mental health system and increase the public and professional understanding of mental illnesses. To serve that mission, NAMI Minnesota works with individuals with mental illness, their families and professionals and the community at large by providing education, support, and advocacy. I encourage all listeners to visit their website, www.namimn.org. Sue, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at NAMI? Sure. So I'm the executive director at NAMI Minnesota. I've been there 21 years, and I come to NAMI as a family member. So everyone at NAMI pretty much either lives with a mental illness or has family members. We don't come to this as mental health professionals, but really from lived experience. Great. I totally understand that. I think we can all relate. We know that our middle school-aged youth are struggling much more these days as we come out of a pandemic. Do you believe that we are facing a youth mental health crisis? Absolutely. I mean, we have to think about the impact of the pandemic, right? So for you know, quite a period of time, students were learning from home. Um, and so they weren't with other kids, which is pretty important in terms of their development, especially for middle school. You also had children who lost their caregivers um, to COVID, and so Certainly death has an impact um, on our students' mental health. And you also had many families being highly stressed by the pandemic, fear of losing their housing, food shortages, um, just stress, um, especially if people were working in you know essential jobs like grocery stores, hospitals, nursing homes, that type of thing. So our whole world, frankly, is stressed. And adults are stressed as well. And when we're not doing well with our mental health, that actually passes on um, to our children as well. What challenges uh, are you noticing in our youth specifically? I think what we're seeing is, frankly, a lack of social skills, 
um, with teenagers, we're seeing them actually using substances alone uh, versus with others, which can be, frankly, dangerous. I mean, we don't want them using them at all, but using them alone is even worse than losing, using them in a group. Um, we're seeing anger. We're seeing disruption in sleep patterns, difficulty concentrating, um, even things like you know eating too much and eating too little. So our, our youth are really struggling with um, particularly anxiety and depression. Yes, I've, I've noticed that even in our St. Paul Middle Schools, I've noticed a higher level of dysregulation um, on, in varying degrees with many more students than we used to see before the pandemic. And that dysregulation to me is just a sign or a symptom of underlying needs um, and you know mental health conditions that are or are not being addressed. Absolutely, we have to remember that what we're seeing as behaviors are often symptoms. Right. Yes, yes. Um, what um, wisdom and tips would you pass along to adults and families who are supporting a middle school age student through the teen years in this changing world? You know, I think the first thing that we have to do is really acknowledge and not deny. This is not a phase, right? What we're really seeing is the impact worldwide, honestly, of the pandemic. Um, one of the CDC, CDC studies showed that two-thirds of parents felt that their children were struggling with their mental health. That is a huge percentage. And two-thirds of high school students felt like they couldn't cope and didn't have the skills to cope with their depression and anxiety. So we have to acknowledge it and talk about it. Um, the words that we use, I think, are very important, that we don't blame the children for not being able to cope with what's going on, but really be supportive and give them some ideas, right, of things that they could do to kind of help deal with their anxiety. Um, simple things like breathing, you know, breathe in to four, you know, breathe out to six, um, just helping them do something like that. Uh, using some of the apps like Calm or Headspace for even short meditations can be very helpful. We also know that moving um, releases the endorphins in your brain and can actually help calm you down. So whether it's maybe everyone dancing in the kitchen or taking a walk around the block, doesn't have to cost anything, right? Dancing, I think, is a really cheap, easy thing to do. And, you know, as an adult, you can look silly and laugh about it too, but, and it'll get your kids laughing, which is always a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, I would also make sure that you look at things like um, if you have a vehicle, um, car rides. Now, you might think, well, that's kind of a silly thing. But when you're in the car, you're not looking at each other. And so sometimes it's easier to raise questions. Um, so you can say, you know, how are you doing? It seems like you're struggling with school. You seem more sad than usual. I don't see you enjoying things like you used to. And you can have those conversations more easily because you're side by side and not looking at each other. And so that's something I would certainly recommend that you think about doing as well. Um, it seems silly, but... You know, that's when I always had the best conversations with my teenagers. Yeah, I love that idea. Um, I, I, I think that there's sometimes a level of discomfort that adults and youth have when having any kind of difficult conversation with anyone. Um, so finding ways to make it a little bit easier on everyone makes good sense. And if you don't have a car, you can walk side by side. That's kind of another way to do it. Right. The other thing is, you know, I know we have a shortage of mental health professionals right now, but going to primary care, going to your pediatrician or family physician is also a very good first step. You know, certainly talking to the school support personnel in the schools would, would also be a good thing. But I wouldn't let it just sit there. 
You know, we always think, well, they'll, you know, again, it's a phase, they'll grow out of it, they'll get better. But if it's going on for several weeks, that's really too long to ignore. Hmm. Yeah, that's good to know. So if, if families are noticing a change in their student's mood, um, you know, that doesn't seem right or feel right or is different, that if it, it does go on for longer, that it is something that needs addressing. That's Absolutely. a good point. And I think sometimes with teenage behavior in particular, it's hard to know, right, whether these are really symptoms or it's typical teenage behavior. Mm-hmm. But we really look at the intensity and length of time. Yes, teenagers and middle school students are going to, you know, cry and run up the stairs or, you know, be angry or whatever. But not every day. Mm-hmm. Not for six weeks. Sure, sure. And I think, you know, one thing I know about mental illness is once it starts to have an impact on your everyday life and relationships, that's when you know that it's it's something that needs addressing. So once you're noticing that a student has lost interest in in hobbies or friendships or has grades that are dropping or, you know, you have a, a teacher reaching out to you on a regular basis noticing behaviors in the in school, um, that something something's going on and it's important to notice that absolutely and then to do something about it mm-hmm. you know not to just let it kind of fester frankly right. and, and again you know they might not need to have a diagnosis or you know be deep into therapy at that point but there could be some other strategies to really help them kind of move out of that mm-hmm. and as adults we can model that as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and I would say that um What's, what youth need, what we all need, are tools and healthy coping mechanisms. And, and finding those and teaching those or modeling those isn't always easy for anyone, um, and especially any parents who might be busy or overwhelmed um, with lots of things going on in life. Um, and so, you know, I did, part of this podcast will have another interview with um, our some of our school counselors and uh, they are also such a great resource and are see your child or a child every day in the school building. And um, if you if it feels too daunting to figure out the healthcare system for you know therapy or mental health services, our schools already have resources in them um, that are perhaps more accessible to, and easier to get to for our parents. And so that could be a good place to start as well for, for, for finding ways to work with your student to, or, or child to develop healthy coping skills and management of feelings and, and such. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we have lots of programs in the schools, you know, not only in St. Paul but across the state to really support that. Many of them, too, have waiting lists, um, but it is, a, I think, another good place to start, especially if you don't have a primary care physician. And, and again, sometimes there's wait times um, mm-hmm. involved. There is a website if you really want to try to find maybe an immediate opening, and it's called Fast Tracker MN, and you can actually put in your zip code, the insurance that you have, and things like that. And if you believe your child really needs to see someone right away, call the call the number on the back of your insurance card if you have insurance because they often prepay appointments or will help get someone in soon to avoid things like an emergency room visit. Mm-hmm. Um, the other resource I would mention is that every county is covered by a mobile mental health crisis team, including in Ramsey County, and you can just call 988 to get connected to it. Oh, sure, the new number, 988. The new number, mm-hmm. yes. It's a suicide <laughs> lifeline, um, easier number to remember, but when the calls are answered in Minnesota, they can also um, connect people to the resources. 
process. That's really great to know. Um, so our, our, if our St. Paul families um, have youth who are struggling with their mental health um, and would like you know, to know ways in which NAMI can support and help them, uh, what, would, what, what, what can you share that NAMI does and, and how it can support our youth and families? Absolutely. So we have free classes uh, for family members that are taught by family members. Um, so, you know, these are people who absolutely get it. And so we can help you understand what to do in a crisis. Um, also, you know, just supporting a child, you know, in the school and things like that. We have materials on our website. Uh, we have a booklet called Keeping Families Together that helps explain the mental health system. We also have some recorded videos. Um, we have one in Spanish as well that really talks about dealing with the mental health crisis. Because you don't automatically know how to de-escalate a situation. You know, and if you're a parent and you're stressed as well, that can usually be kind of a bad combo. And so really kind of learning some of those de-escalation techniques can be helpful. Mm-hmm. And then we also have peer-led support groups. So we have support groups for parents whose children are struggling with their mental health. Um, They go through a special training, but these are parents who are leading it, not mental health professionals. And sometimes it's just really helpful to know that you're not alone. Um, I think as a parent, when our children struggle with their mental health, we tend to honestly blame ourselves and kind of get caught up in there and figure we must be doing something wrong with our parenting. And often it has nothing to do with our parenting. And so talking to other parents who are going through something similar can be immensely helpful. Certainly. Yeah, I I even was on the website and noticed a lot of different great resources for families. So again, um, if if folks want to visit the NAMI website, um, it is www.namimn.org. That's www.namimin.org. I will also say that we have a helpline, and so we take thousands of calls a year. So if you're kind of struggling with your insurance, not paying for something, or you just want to talk to someone about what your options are, please give us a call. It's not a crisis line, so it's during you know business hours, but you can call 651-645-2948 and be connected to one of our helpline staff. Oh, that's wonderful to know. Um, thank you for all this information. Um, Sue, is there any other... Um, information or wisdom that you want to share before we end our conversation? I just want people to know that kids get better. You know, I mean, they really do. They are resilient. Um, They can learn new skills to cope with anxiety and depression and things like that. And we know with early intervention and treatment that kids get better. And so that's what we all want. We want our kids to be good. Right. Yeah. Uh, One other thing I want to add to and share is that one of our next upcoming podcast episodes will be focused on mindfulness and meditation, um, which is what you shared as a tool um, for managing um, stress and anxiety and, and things, the, the you know, breath work and, and breathing techniques. As, and to me, those are very simple tools, but are actually very effective. And it's something I've heard across the board in all the worlds I've been in around mental health, that breath work and breathing and mi- meditation really, really is helpful. Absolutely. And free. And free. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And, you know, accessible on podcasts and on YouTube and in and, and books. So um, I hope that uh, families find this information and these resources really helpful today. And thanks for this conversation. Thanks so much for inviting me.
welcome to the Literacy Corner. I'm here with Kim today, and she's going to share some literacy tips. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kate. Thank you for the introduction and inviting me here today. For families that would like to add literacy to their at-home toolkits, this month's idea is to discuss themes and reflect with your learner the lessons in the book that they are currently reading. Some questions a caregiver may ask their learner include, what do the characters in the story learn? How do the characters become better people? Asking open-ended questions works well to understand more about what your middle schooler is reading and their perspective on the lessons in the book. Open-ended questions also help to build conversations with your child. I'm also thankful when I have conversations with students about the books that they are reading. It helps me to learn more about the book and connect more with students. This month I have been reflecting a lot about gratitude. We can be grateful every day. This month's book recommendation is thank you. It is spelled T-H-A-N-K-U. There is no space. It is an anthology that pulls together 32 different poems. Authors who have contributed to this book are from diverse backgrounds and bring different poetic form. Thank You is available to check out through the St. Paul Public Library system. I would love to hear your ideas of questions caregivers can ask to their child when reading books and your book recommendations. Feel free to send your suggestions to the Flipside email address on the website. Thank you for listening and I wish everyone an enjoyable day. All right, thanks Kim. Great book recommendation and great tip this week. What's the Word is where we ask middle school students about a slang word or phrase that they like to use that we grown-ups may not know. Today I'm at Farnsworth Aerospace Upper Campus on the east side of St. Paul. I've got two students here to share a phrase with us. Hello to Armani and Akina both are seventh graders at Farnsworth. Can you two tell me what's the word? A phrase that we use this year at school is A-yo. Can you give everyone an example of how A-yo is used? When a lot of people say A-yo at school, it's like when someone says something sus or like unexpected. Especially when I'm around my friends, like I don't know where they just say something weird and sus and I'm just like, hey, yo, pause, what do you mean by that? So I heard you use the word sus. Can you quick explain what that word means too? It's also when someone's just like catch you off guard. Not like, I wanna say inappropriate, but like it's just like something that's, you like word a lot of things weird. So maybe suspicious or suspect, strange. Cool. Thanks. Akina, can you give me an example of how you use uh, a yo? Usually when I'm with my friends, 
and we're like talking and they start saying random stuff that wasn't even in the conversation before. I always go or someone at the table always says, hey, yo, hold up, wait a minute. And then everyone, and then the friend like who said something weird is like, wait, 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 hold on. I didn't mean that. Let me rephrase that. Thanks, you two. So we've got two words today, actually. A-yo and sus. Thanks to Armani and Akina for sharing a word uh, with us today. everyone that's the end of the show we hope you enjoyed it thanks for joining us and we look forward to seeing you on the flip side at one of our middle schools or out in the community community connect 625 is produced by the saint paul public schools Flipside program which is a part of the community education department funding is provided by the american rescue plan our theme music which is the song you're hearing right now, is produced by St. Paul's very own Cuckoo Beats. Additional music is from audionautics.com. Content support comes from the St. Paul Public Schools Office of Teaching and Learning Department. The voices you heard today belong to Kate Gray, Keely McCarty, Kim Sabo, Lucrea Scott, and SPPS Middle School students. If you have questions, comments, or inquiries, send us an email at flipside at spps.org.